You are listening to the EdTech Takeout from Grantwood AEA, an educational service agency that supports school districts in eastern Iowa with a focus on equity, excellence, and efficiency in education for all children. Welcome to the EdTech Takeout, the podcast that serves up bite-sized technology tips for teachers. My name is Jonathan Wiley. I'm a technology consultant here at Grantwood AEA, and I'm joined as always by my partner in crime, Mindy Carney. What up? What up? Yeah, I'm trying something new. I guess that would be new, yeah. (laughs) We should also introduce, uh, we have another guest with us today um, who's going to help us out on the podcast today. We have Julie King. Do you want to say hi, Julie? Hi. Tell uh, Tell us who you are, Julie, and what you do here at Grantwood. I am a school social worker at Grantwood AEA. I'm finishing up my 10th year with the agency. 10 years? But I also do uh, assistive technology. I believe this is my fifth year supporting students with disabilities um, to identify and learn technology tools that can help their learning. Yeah, we brought you on for some of your assistive technology expertise today, and we'll get to that. You didn't bring me on to give you some therapy? (laughs) You know, well, I, I don't like to do that live and public <laughs> on the air. We can we can do that after the show, Julie. I've got more experience with that. Uh-huh. Yeah, I'm sure I am. I probably need it more than anything, anybody else on this podcast. Oh, I think I've already diagnosed you. Oh, I'm getting a little worried now. <laughs> well, I have a question for the both of you, especially Jonathan. This is aimed at you. So, do you believe in the Loch Ness monster? Do I believe the Loch Ness Monster? Where did this come from? This seems like a really random question. Well, we were kind of talking about it yesterday, about the Loch Ness yeah, Monster. Yeah, we did. Yeah, so what do you think? I, I should be the, more, the, the biggest authority on this of the three of us, just because it's my native homeland. I know. Um, we were talking about, was it the, the Water Horse movie the other day? Yeah, something like that. Somebody was talking about yeah. it, yeah. Have you, have you seen that? No, I haven't. No, I haven't seen it either. Um, still just dodging the question. Yeah. I don't know if I necessarily believe that there is a Loch Ness monster as in like the monster term of things, but I would not be surprised if there was some thing in there that we just don't really know much about, but I don't know. Um, lots of people claim to have seen things, but maybe they're just a little bit crazy. I don't know. Do you believe in the Loch Ness Monster, Mindy? Well, yeah, I think I kind of do. I don't, like you said, I don't know that I believe it as, as a monster, but I, I think there's something still living in there, like, that's prehistoric of some sort. Did you know that the first sighting was in 565 AD? So it's not... No way. Yeah, so it's not the same Loch Ness Monster from then, probably. But, I mean, you were talking about how deep it is and stuff, right? So, I mean, there could be, and how murky and dark it is. So, I mean, there could be all kinds of things living in there that we've never even seen or have a name for. Julie King, you are diagnosing people today. How do you diagnose us right now? <laughs> uh, caring about things that really don't matter to you. Really? Okay. Do you believe there's a Loch Ness Monster, Julie King? It's not something that I really even think about or know much about because, again, it doesn't affect me. All right. I guess that's fair enough. Yeah, I mean, I think that I think it's the largest, uh, the deepest freshwater lake Maybe in the world, I don't know. So it's just so deep that they have put expeditions out there, like submarines and sonar and all other kinds of stuff. But it's just so dark and murky and deep that 
I don't know. Nobody knows for sure. Yeah, and they say it never freezes over, which I'm guessing is kind of odd. Even for a really deep lake, it should still freeze over, right? I don't know. I guess. I guess, but it doesn't. So maybe that's, I don't know. My brother lives in Inverness. Really? Which is on the... Which is the nearest city, I guess, to uh, Loch Ness. Hmm. Yeah. Now, see, if I live there, I might care. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you have it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm going to bypass the Loch Ness Monster for a little bit here and start with a bit of follow-up from um, previous episodes because we have some updates for things we've talked about in the past. And... The first one I got here might end up being old news by the time you hear this because of when we're recording this podcast, but Twitter has announced that they are not going to increase the 140-character limit that we talked about. Was that episode one? Maybe? Yeah, I think it was. We had a huge discussion about it. If I had sound effects right now, I'd be playing applause because I'm super excited about this. Why would we want to increase a character that is a good question. <laughs> yeah, people are looking at Twitter and ways to make it more popular and grow a bit more. And one of the things that was rumored for a while was that they would increase the 140 character limit so that people could write more and talk about more. But um, Mindy and I weren't as keen on that idea and other people were not either. But there's a New York Times article I read um, recently and the CEO, Jack Dorsey, said that is a constraint that they are happy to work within. So, no more than 140 characters. Yeah, I mean, my understanding is that was like the whole premise behind Twitter is the character limit. Yeah, that's one of their hallmark features. So, um, I'm glad it's, it's sticking around. Um, I've got another follow-up um, thing. This was from when we did our podcasting in the classroom episode. And um, our noble leader, Stacey Beamer, um, tweeted this out because she was at the Midwest Google Summit, or what do they call that now? The Midwest, the Midwest Summit. Summit. Emphasizing. The Midwest Summit. <laughs> the Midwest Google. Summit featuring Google yes, Apps. Like that. Yes. Yeah, and there was a guy there that did podcasting on the Chromebook, and uh, she shared his slides from from that session and I thought that'd be worth um, just putting in the show notes and letting people see what's going on with that because he used a, an online tool called Soundtrap and um, if you are got Chromebooks in the classroom and you're thinking about podcasting with students it might be a, a good way just to you know browse through his slides or hit this guy up on Twitter he is edtech underscore channel and I tell you what, Mindy, I don't know if you've seen these slides yet or not, but these are some good-looking slides. Really? I'll have to take a look They're at really it. nice graphics, very well designed and, and all the rest. So check them out for the design, but stay for the good content. That's a good commercial. He's going to love you for that. <laughs> Maybe he listens to Maybe the show. Maybe he does. Maybe he doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we'll find out. Um, my last piece of follow-up is in related to the Creating Apps podcast that we did recently too and that was an update for adobe slate we talked about adobe slate a digital storytelling app on the ipad and they now let you add youtube vimeo and even adobe voice videos as well as images from google photos into your adobe slate that's nice it's a good feature story yeah i think so i mean adds more multimedia elements to 
those things and it helps integrate some of those Adobe platforms too. All right, so on to our top five. Um, we are going to talk a little bit about maker spaces today. So uh, Jonathan and I talked a little bit about what we think um, maybe the top five things that you should look into or investigate if you're looking to put a maker space in your classroom or in your school. So do you want to start with the first one, Jonathan? Uh, yeah, I can do. I'm going to start with a, a small disclaimer just in case people take this the wrong way, but... Um, I, I said this to you as well, that makerspaces are not just about the tools and the things and the stuff, but at the end of the day, you know, it's useful to have some of these things. So the first one I will take off this list will be, I'm going to do video production, just because that's one I'm probably most familiar with. I think it's good to have some kind of ability to record or some space to record either stop motion or green screen productions. and. We do quite a lot of uh, work with schools around stop motion or green screen. It's something that is pretty easy to get started with. It's actually fairly cost effective as well. And we keep saying we're going to do a green screen episode and we tease it every now and again. We will do one for sure. But, you know, it is really economical and easy to get started with green screen. You can just use a green cloth. You can paint the inside of a pizza box green. You can do all kinds of easy stuff with that. Stop motion, all you need is an app that helps uh, record stop motion. And we looked at one in previous episode called Stop Motion Studio. There are other apps available for sure, but whether you do claymation or, you know, some kind of other stop motion, it's, it's good stuff to have, video production stuff, or your makerspace. Yeah, and I know you had, I mean, really the makerspace is all about creativity and allowing students kind of the ability to choose what they want to create or solve a problem that they um want to, you know, create something that will solve a problem. And so one of my favorite things is the make-do. And a make-do is kind of like this plastic screw. Um, and it comes with a screwdriver and uh, um, saw as well. And so you use it to take cardboard to construct different things. And so these little screws then will um, attach pieces of cardboard to one another. And that's what I like about, yeah, I know. So Julie, your kids love to play with that, right? Yes, we have several make-dos at my house. We have so far constructed a um, spaceship, a dinosaur, and currently we have this boat-like fort in my basement constructed out of make-dos, and um, the box that uh, Ottoman we bought came in. So it was a very large box, but they were able to make this pretty big fort. probably holds about, oh, three or four six-year-olds in it. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. So where did they get their ideas from? I mean, how did they decide to make that? Was it just hey, let's put something together today, or are they looking at things and wanting to try them? So the make-do kit that my six-year-old got for Christmas was one that made a spaceship. Um, and so they've used some of the ideas from the spaceship to make their forts, um, and they are kind of, the cardboard's bent a little bit conveniently for some of their fort making as well. Um, as far as the dinosaurs, those were just ideas that, you know, a box came in the mail. I do a lot of Amazon shopping, unfortunately. And so we get a lot of different boxes, different sizes in the mail. And usually when a box comes in the mail, my son's just like, hey, I can make a race car out of this. And we get out the make-do set. Now, we do not have the saw because our kit did not come with the saw. And we could sure use a yeah. saw. <laughs> so like Julie said, she talked a little bit about kits. So they can come in kits or you can just buy like a big 
bag and they're pretty cost effective, right? I mean, they're, they're one of the, a cheaper item that you can purchase for um, a big bang for the buck. Oh yeah. They, they are very cheap. I mean, even our kit was like only $30 and we got 120 little screws and two um, screwdrivers. Great. So third one put on the list here is I'm just going to give a, a quick shout out for the, the tickle app here. Um, the tickle app is something that is available for iOS devices and it's really great because it works with a whole bunch of different devices. Um, it lets you program and control different robots. Okay. So this works with Spheros. Um, it even works with the new BB-8 Sphero. It works with Dash and Dot. It works with, um, a variety of parrot drones and things like that. And it's got this kind of block clay type, um, programming language where you drag and drop the blocks over and you say things like when starting to play, take off and do this five times. And, um, it's just really creative, nice, interesting, um, app. You can actually do it without any like devices or robots. They've got this little orca whale or something like that that you, you can just like move around the screen and get some practice with. But if you have any spheros or dashing dots or parrot drones, then it's uh it's a great way to, to program. Yeah, so like nice that. that it's like universal across devices. That's awesome. Um, we have a sphero at home, I'll have to take a look at that one. Or yeah, for sure. Um okay so my next one would be the makey makey. And um, the Makey Makey is like this little, um, kind of like a, it looks like a card, I guess, of sorts. And there's alligator clips that come with it. And so you connect the alligator parts, or allig- alligator clips, if I can say it right, alligator clips to um, the board. And then can connect it um, to different things that are conductors for electricity and use that to kind of make an interactive board for your computer. So um, you can tap on, let's say, uh, the big thing always is bananas, that you can connect these alligator clips to the bananas, and then tap on the bananas to make your cursor move on your computer, or use it for a game, or to make music. Um, I've played with it a little bit. It's still like, when I play with it, I'm always a little bit baffled about how it all works, And um, but it's just a kind of a creative way to get kids work thinking about engineering and um i don't know it's just it's kind of a neat little tool and it's not that expensive either so there's two different kinds there's a bigger board um that goes for around fifty dollars it's called the classic and then there's also the go which is just a mini one so if you want to throw it in your pocket i guess you can take it with you wherever you want and that one's around 25 dollars. so um also kind of an inexpensive thing to give a try yeah, and they have a great video that we will add to the show notes of like people jumping in and out of water buckets and uh, going up and down stairs and doing different things just to activate and make that electrical connection work um, with Mickey Mickey's and it's super creative, very good. Um, last one we have on our list here, number five, is some kind of 3D printer and we see this a lot in... Um, people that are thinking about maker spaces now. I think 3D printing technology has really come on a lot in, in recent years, and it is faster than it used to be. It's still not necessarily a particularly quick process, but I think if you think about the whole the whole idea of, of making something in a 3D printer, you know, and you're getting student working with um, either, you know, some kind of mobile app or some kind of uh, 3D design software on a, on a laptop to 
create brand new things and design new things and actually seeing the uh, physical representation of that in um, 3D print is, is pretty amazing. At Grabwood, we have a couple of 3D printers. We have the MakerBot and we have the Polar 3D. And um, there's lots of different ones out there. I don't know if I'm qualified enough to talk about which ones are better than any other ones, but MakerBots seem to be pretty popular in terms of a fairly um, reliable brand. Yeah, it's worked really well for us here. So, I mean, we can at least give it a little bit of a shake for that. All right, now on to the main course, Serve to You Piping Hot. Julie is going to talk to us about assistive technology today. That's quite the intro there, piping hot. <laughs> we have these food references that you'll see every so often in the podcast. So that's the main course is always served up uh-huh. piping hot for Mindy. Oh, I get it. I get it. I was yeah. like, I'm not sure where she's going with that. I'm not sure I'm comfortable with this. <laughs> Getting really personal today. This this could go very badly. So um, Mindy and Jonathan invited me to come today and talk a little bit about assistive technology. Um, and I guess I want to make sure that before I start, people understand when I'm talking about assistive technology, I'm talking about um, things related to supporting students with uh, special education or uh, 504. So ki- kids who have identified disabilities, whether they're served with a uh, special education IEP or individual with education plan or um, a 504 plan or just served in the gen ed setting but have um, have an identified disability. So I just want to make sure that I have that kind of set there. It doesn't mean that assistive technology can't be used in other formats for general education peers, but um, when I talk about assistive tech, when I go out and and provide consultation services about it, I'm generally speaking um, to talking to using those um, devices and technologies with students with disabilities. Yeah, we, we brought you on, again, for that reason in terms of, you know, a lot of the technology that we talk about people are usually, you know, have some kind of familiarity with or have come across or heard about or maybe read about in different places. But I think assistive technology puts a whole different kind of spin on the way that we can use technology with students and to help students. So um looking forward to hearing what you've got to say about that. So I think we'll start by just kind of talking about what assistive technology is. Um, most of the time when I get called into a school, uh, administrators sometimes will get a little panicky that I'm thinking or going to talk to them about pretty high-end or high-tech assistive technology devices like Braille writers, communication devices, cochlear implants, things that are going to cost a lot of money. Um, but a lot of times, and, and actually the way we think about assistive technology is we consider low-end or low-tech devices first, and we're talking about things like visual schedules and colored overlays and calculators, highlighters, post-it notes can be considered assistive technology for our population. Um, because according to the Individual with Disabilities Education Act, uh, assistive technology is any item, piece of equipment, or product system used to increase, maintain, or improve the functional capabilities of a child with disabilities. So we're thinking about anything that helps these kids maintain or improve their functioning in the classroom. So it might not have a battery or an LCD screen or things like that. It's just it's a pretty wide definition. 
Right. So if we think about um, assistive technology like that, uh, I'm going to kind of give you a scenario. If we have Sally, who's a preschool student, and she has a goal on her individual education plan in the area of pre-academics, and she struggles to transition or move from one activity to the next, um, the teacher provides her with a visual schedule, and she do- uses that and is able to transition more functionally throughout the classroom without adult assistance, would we consider that assistive technology for Sally? What do you think, Mindy? I'm going to go with yes. Why? Yeah. yeah. Why? Why? Um, because it's a tool to help her function in the classroom. Yeah, but it's not fixing the problem, right? It's not fixing the problem, but it's helping her function, right? So it's kind of fixing the problem so she can, you know, move from one activity to the next activity without any, um, you know, high anxiety or anything like that. Right. So it's improving her functioning, even though it's not like completely getting rid of the effect of her disability. And so I think we always need to keep that in mind. Is this helping, even if it's not fixing? Right, so that's like the that's the assistive part. It's assisting with something they may have trouble doing, I guess. Right. I got another one for you, Mindy. Ready? Okay. I'm, I'm ready. I'm giving these to you because Jonathan already heard them. Okay. <laughs> so Sarah's a third grade student, and she has goals in reading and writing. And she has trouble completing assignments. So the teacher decides, you know, what I'm going to do is I'm going to put um, her assignments on a list. We call them a task list. Uh-huh. Uh, when, when she needs to do more than one thing. Um, and as she completes each thing, she crosses them off, and that helps her complete more of the work. So is she using assistive technology? Yes. What is the assistive technology? Uh, the task list and her pen. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> the task list is, is considered the assistive technology. She probably does need the pen. You're right. But I yeah. suppose she could rip it off the list, too. She could. Right, right. <laughs> so the, the pen wouldn't be a necessary piece of it. But the task list would be considered assistive technology. So, again, you know, just, just kind of putting it out there that when we think about assistive technology, we're thinking about a lot of different things, a lot of um pieces of equipment or tools that help students. You know, um, one of some of my students that have some hyperkinetic movement that move a lot, they use these things called move-in sits, and they, they just sit on these cushions that kind of help stabilize their core and, and make it so that they're less likely to move into the space of other people. And that would also be considered assistive technology, and it's just a simple little devi- little thing that they sit on. I went into a I went into a fourth grade classroom recently at one of my school districts where they had no chairs. The kids all were sat on yoga balls, and so they were all bouncing around. But kind of a similar idea. The the, the teacher said she wrote a grant for it and read a lot of research about how you know it helps strengthen their core and it helps improve their concentration and things like that. So. Yep, um, yep. Yeah. And you bring up kind of an interesting point and one that we kind of talk a lot about in the assistive technology world is what about these environments where all these kids have access to this? So in that classroom, when everybody has this ball seat, is it assistive technology? It's not, yeah, right? It's not assistive what technology if, unless they are identified with a 504. So you're, you're close. It's not assistive technology for the majority of those students, but if any of them needs that... In order to improve their functioning, right, right, than it is for that student. I think that kind of brings us on, kind of nicely to the the next part. I think you're going to talk about here, which is 
you know, the considerations or the thought processes that go into, you know, identifying, you know, the specific needs of the student and and the environment that they, they work in? Do you want to talk about that? So when I called in to provide consultation or think about assistive technology for students, we use this thing, this uh, thing called the SET framework. It's it's a way of considering the student and what their needs might be, and it's called the SET. Um, you can find this at our Grantwood uh, website that Jonathan said he'll put a link to. Um, on on what did you call them, Jonathan? On our show notes. Show notes. Yeah. Thank you. Um, so on the set, we consider the student, the environment, and the tasks, and the tools. When we think about the student, we're thinking about what are some things that that student's good at, as well as what does that student need in order to um, make progress or be as functional as students without disabilities in the classroom. What is their area of disabilities, and what are some things that they actually um, excel at? You know, maybe they're not as good at at um, sitting still, but maybe they're one of the most active and and energetic kids in the classroom, and that sometimes is a good thing. Um, How can we look at that student uh, across areas? And then we look at the environment. What already is in the environment that the student utilizes um, to, to function in that classroom and make progress? What are some things that we can consider regarding the physical arrangement of the classroom. Uh, of the classroom is the student frequently in a small group setting. Are they frequently with a large group? Um, are they sitting at desks a lot of the time? Do they sit at the carpet a lot of the time? What does that environment look like that they're struggling in? Um, and what supports are are available? What are some? Um, how many adults are already in the classroom? What does that classroom already have? Does it already have some ball chairs? Maybe the ball chair isn't a benefit for that child. Maybe we need to look at taking the ball chair away and trying something different. And then what is it that the student needs to do that that they're not able to do right now? What is everyone else doing and what are they doing? How is that different? So what is necessary to make progress in the core? What tasks do they need to do to make progress alongside their regular education peers? So that's the student environment and tasks. And we have to really have this conversation about all three of those areas as a group, as a team, the IEP team or the educational team, so that we're looking at all those pieces. Because we don't know about all the aspects of the environment and music if we're not also talking about the, talking to the music teacher. We don't know what tasks they need to do in art that they're not able to do if we're not also talking to the art teacher. Yeah, and the thing that intrigued me, I guess, about the set framework is that, you know, you just you talk about the student and then the environment and then the tasks. And we're talking about all of these things before we're thinking about the technology part that we're going to add, whether it's, you know, analog technology or digital technology. But sometimes I think in our minds or in this tech-focused world that we're in, we immediately would jump to the, well, they need this tool. But we have to have more understanding of the, the context and and things that are going on in, in this with the student in order to choose the best. Well, and it's such a great conversation to have, even for students yeah, we, that aren't on IEPs. I mean, there are three great things to remember for any student who you might feel is struggling in your classroom, you know, and kind of looking at the whole picture instead of just sometimes feeling the frustration of the student, student isn't doing what I want them to do. 
but I think it's just great things to keep in mind for any student at all who might be struggling in your class. Right. Yeah. And I think we do have a tendency to just start throwing tools at students and ideas of things to try without considering all three of those things. But when we don't consider those three things, we get what we consider uh, technology abandonment really quickly. Um, because it doesn't work. Maybe they can't use what we've given them in the setting that they're in because we didn't really look at the setting closely enough. How long do you usually try a tool, Julie, before you do abandon it? I mean, I know there's got to be times where, you know, you try something and it doesn't work, but how long would you say is a good amount of time to be trying something before it's time to maybe look for a different, a different tool? I think that has to do with frequency of usage throughout the day and week, because if it's something that they're using all day, every day, um, then we can start talking about and looking at whether or not it's working if in a couple weeks. But if it's something that maybe they only use these specialized scissors once a week in art, <laughs> we probably need to have some more exposure and some more time with that tool before we think about trying something different. Um, a lot of times, too, we need to think about whether or not they've had adequate support in learning the tool if it is more of a high-tech tool. Um, because a student that gets pretty frustrated with a tool that they've been introduced to or a teacher that do doesn't really understand the tool that they've been introduced to is more likely to abandon that tool without giving it really a, a good shot at trying. And so then, then we do start talking about tools. After we've considering... After we've considered those three things, we start thinking about the tools that they might need. And we always have to consider first that low-tech option first before we start thinking about high-tech. And we also want to be thinking about tools that promote independence. We don't want to be um, giving our students with disabilities additional adult assistance because they're not going to have that the rest of their life. So we're trying to give them tools that make it so they can function more independently. And then we do start talking about ways to trial the tools and then what kind of um, support they need to learn those tools. When we're thinking about things like um, text-to-speech readers, so, so uh, devices that read digital text aloud to a student, there is a certain amount of training that goes into teaching a, a student to use that and teaching the teachers sometimes to use that tool. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. That there must be some of these tools that you show to teachers that they maybe don't use very often that you're going to have to, that's going to be brand new to them and you're going to have to work with the teachers as well. Is that something you do a lot? Uh, we offer it, yes. Um, interestingly enough, I'm finding that the students are, are usually the better educators of the teachers than I am <laughs> of their tools. <laughs> The students usually, you know, can know how to make it work, and then they, when the teacher's struggling, they're able to help them out. <laughs> um, so I, I have better luck teaching the student how to make it work. Yeah, and I guess they're going to be the the more frequent users of something. I mean, you'll you'll know the solution and and things like that, but you don't use it on a daily basis, probably just like the teacher doesn't, or Mindy and I don't use it on a daily basis. So the more they they use it themselves, they're going to find the the little quirks or the, the little shortcuts and, and things like that too. Right. Well, and then there's like bells and whistles on some of the technology that we um, suggest, you know, so if we have a text-to-speech reader, we are showing them how to use the text-to-speech reader. Well, several of them also have some note-taking capabilities and some other pieces um, that we don't generally demo or 
educate on because that wasn't the purpose of the tool. And we have a variety of resources that we uh, provide to IEP teams and 504 teams, educational teams, of places to go to look at different tool ideas. And one that I have to promote, and you're going to put it your put it in your end notes, Jonathan, is uh, the A Grantwood AEA AT website. Uh, I would be happy to to put that in there. In fact, Mindy would be happy to <laughs> put happy that to in put there because Mindy there. does all the show notes. Whoever gets it in there, yeah. Um, because not only are you going to have access on that website to the set framework that we use here at Grantwood AEA, you'll also have access to a lot of different ideas for different tools. All right, so the Grantwood AEA Assistive Technology website, that's a public website that's open for everybody to browse and take a look through. Um, what else have you got, Julie? Uh, we also look at the WADI checklist, and I'm trying to remember what WADI stands for. I apologize. I should have looked that up before this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> WADI is in... W-A-T-I, Wisconsin Assistive Technology Initiative. W-A-T-I, WATI. Okay. WATI, yes. WATI.org. Um, and there is a checklist that we go through that provides us lots of different ideas, um, low-tech to high-tech options. So what are some things that we're considering when we think about the tools they need? For instance, in the reading um, section, they talk about, can the student use standardized text? What if that we gave them predictable t- books instead? What if we changed the size of text, size, font, color, background, will that help them? And then it just keeps going down the line, kind of increasing in complexity and technology um, use all the way to software that reads the websites and emails and text aloud to students. Oh, that sounds like a nice resource for anybody. Yeah, yeah, I like that one. It's it's a low-tech resource, too, so that's always nice, just a check mark, <laughs> checklist. And it, you know, makes me really kind of frame my thinking about the student and making sure I'm not jumping from, you know, do they need a highlighter to do they need some word prediction software. <laughs> and I'm looking, yeah, right. looking at a range of options and remembering to look at some of those other lower-tech or mid-tech options. I, I find myself frequently missing mid-tech options. Mm-hmm. What are some examples of mid-tech uh, mid-tech would be things like, well, you know, the visual schedule would oh, be okay. kind of a mid-tech option. Uh-huh. Um, so it could be pre-made and it uses some kind of software programming, but it's not something that you need access to a technology resource constantly in order to, to use. Sure. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Yeah. Um, alternative keyboards might be considered kind of a mid-tech option as opposed to um, an eye gaze computer. That would be high tech. <laughs> yeah, that's high high tech, right? <laughs> what what so is an, an eye gaze computer? Uh, eyes gaze computer would be uh, for a student that maybe can't use their hands. And so the computer is set up to know where the eyes are looking and um, open really? different pieces. And it just tracks their eye movements as they look around the screen? Yes. Wow. Yes. Um, so that's pretty high-tech and pretty expensive. <laughs> I can imagine, yeah. Um, and we wouldn't want to jump to that if all we needed is a colored keyboard. Of course, yeah. <laughs> that kind of highlighted, you know, the letter, the vowels. Um, we also sometimes use the tech matrix, and you can find that at techmatrix.org, T-E-C-H-M-A-T-R-I-X 
www.ncpsa.org. Um, and on that website, you can put in what the concern is, what the grade level is, and they'll give you a whole list of different technology supports um, that you could try with that student. One of the things I liked when I went on this website and, you know, speaking from a, a gen ed kind of classroom teacher experience, if I had a, a student that came into my classroom or my year group that did have some of these uh, needs for assistive technology is that they have a glossary on there too, that if you're not, you know, familiar with what, you know, alternative, alternate access devices and systems are, it gives you a, a you know, a definition of what those are, what an intellectual disability is, what programmable or large brain keyboards. It has definitions for all the types of uh, types of vocabulary that they might use on this site when they, when you do that search in the tech matrix. Yeah, yeah. That, that's helpful to know because I, I wouldn't have noticed that. I mean, because I had some assistive technology training before using the website, I knew what a switch-activated device was. I, yeah. Um, so that's helpful to know. It's a good one. I'm just looking at it now. That's good. I like that glossary. So the other thing that I like and I try and encourage everybody to use is atomic learning um, because a lot of times I'll go out and try and support a, a teacher or student to learn technology and then I leave. Um, and because I serve 13 different school districts for assistive technology um, as well as doing my school social work position, I don't can't get there very fast or very frequently. Atomic Learning is a platform that the AEAs have purchased that teaches, uh, that provides kind of modules for how to use technology. And what I like that it does is it does it in bite-sized bits. Yeah, Atomic, atomic Learning is uh, free for all students, parents, and educators in Iowa because it's one of those state, state buy-ins. If you're familiar with something like uh, lynda.com, you know, those types of little video tutorial things, you can get an idea of what atomic learning is like. It, it's similar to that in, in a way, but like Julie says, it is broken down really nicely into really bite-sized chunks. Um, you can learn all kinds of technology there. Like um, Sometimes I'll go there for, I don't know, to learn about how to do something in iMovie because I'm not using the same version as the schools are, and it's like, how do you do that on the 2012 version? And I would just skip through to the exact part I need, and I'm like, oh, okay, so that's where that is. It's a, it's a really nice resource. And then there's one, uh, too, w Windows 10 accessibility. So as some of my schools move to Windows 10, I'm going to need to start thinking about and looking at how do I support them with the accessibility options on that. That's great. I like Windows 10. I haven't dug into too many of the accessibility features, but I do use it on several devices, so it's good fun. I haven't used Windows 10 at all, so I don't know what it looks like at all. <laughs> Yeah, you're rocking Windows 7 on that Grant Wood laptop right now. <laughs> I, I, I'm rocking it. In fact, I have a it reinstalled on mine since I broke it already once this year, my Windows 7. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Julie. All right. Anything else you want to uh, tell us about assistive technology or maybe um, how, how, how could teachers in the AEA system, you know, learn more about it or, or, or contact people to get consultations or things like that? What's the best way to do that? So every AEA in the state of Iowa has assistive technology support. In AEA 10, we have um, a person assigned to each region. And so if you go to the website and you look up the assistive technology um, support personnel, you'll find who's assigned to your region. Uh, or you can just submit a, a request for support. There's a link there that Jonathan or Mindy will add to their 
notes that you you don't even have to know who it is that is assigned to your region and it'll shoot it to the right right personnel. Well, Julie, thank you so much. I definitely came into this podcast not knowing much and I feel like you've really kind of opened my eyes to the process and um, kind of explained a lot of things that maybe I didn't necessarily understand before. And so thank you so much for coming in. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Julie. Thanks for having me. All right, now to finish up the show, we're going to take a bite out of some tech nuggets. I like it. Mindy, last last week you pulled rank and uh, had me go I know. first. What's your preferences this week? I don't know. I took a minute to pause because I know what yours is and I know what mine is. Um... I'll go first. I'll go Ladies first. first. Of course. Oh, so this week you're calling me a lady. Hmm. You know, we have company. I'm trying to be polite. Okay. Oh, that's nice. All right. So my tech nugget is something that I saw on um, the Breakout EDU Facebook page. And in prior podcasts, I've talked a little bit about Breakout EDU. Um, and they have a great... I've heard, that, I've heard that Facebook page is like really very active. It's really Holy active Holy smokes. Let me tell you about how active it is. All of my notifications pretty much come from Breakout EDU. It's crazy. It's crazy. But there's so many great ideas. So it's... A, I mean, I don't look at it all the time. But when I want to find something, I could just go to that Facebook page and somebody's got a solution for a problem. It's, it's a really great resource if you're looking to get into um, doing some Breakout EDU um, games. And also, just shameless plug, because you know I love shameless plugs, um, Amber Bridge and I are going to be doing a breakout EDU workshop this summer to help teachers write their own breakout EDU games. So um, be on the lookout for that. I might anyway, get to them. Okay, that'll be fun. Um, so anyway, the way breakout EDU works is that it's all about um, solving puzzles, and those puzzles then lead to other puzzles until you solve the big mystery or finish the game. And so I saw on the Breakout EDU Facebook page this thing called Snotes, S-N-O-T-E-S. It's a website and a iOS app. And um, what it does is it creates like this little, do you remember like the magic eyes? Do you, do you remember those? Yeah, like, I still have some of those magic eyes yeah. where you stare at them forever until the picture pops yeah. out. So is this this thing you sent us on Voxer the other yes, day? Yes, yes. Wow. Okay. Yeah. That was cool. Do you not have any? I can bring some in. No. Okay. So the way a snow works, though, is that you kind of create like this magic eye with words. And so it gives you, it's super easy. You don't have to do much work. You know, I love that. Um, so it gives you four different lines and you can only use, I think, 20 characters for each line. And then it lays those words or phrases over top of one another. And then it gives you the opportunity if you're the user. So after it's been created, you can send it to someone or allow them to view it. It does allow you to kind of move the image around so that you can try and figure out what the um, phrases are or the words are or the clues are. So you can kind of twist it and move it around until like just kind of like a magic eye, like all of a sudden it just kind of pops out at you. So that's kind of a neat one. Um, even like you could even do it like uh, in a writing center or something like that where students write. For each line, you know, they use 20 characters, so they maybe write like a little poem, and then it's put into a snote, and then you can kind of move it around and see it. So it might be a good um, thing to try in your writing center if you're not doing breakout EDU, or just something fun to get your kids excited about something new that you're going to learn, and they can use the snote to try and figure out, you know, what are we going to be learning about today? So that's kind of a fun one to take a look at. 
Yeah, I'll tell you what it reminded me of. I don't know if you've either of you played these games or not. There's a series of iPad games, or I think they're on Android as well, called The Room. And they're like puzzle games. And you've got to find your way around the room, and you find a clue, and you find a puzzle, and then it leads you to the next clue and the next puzzle. And one of them is like, you know, these things where you have to like move this thing around and on a, on a axis. And as you rotate it to the exact point, it either makes a shape or it gives you a word or something. And it's like, ah, oh, that's what that is. But when you look at it the first time, it's like, that doesn't look like anything. But until you rotate it and move things around, and it's, it's like one of those deals, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. All right, so my tech nugget is completely different from that and just a little bit different and out there. We've talked about virtual reality before, and my pick is a virtual reality app that was designed for Google Cardboard. It is kind of an amazing type of thing. I think could have some applications for the classroom and maybe just for, for teachers as well because... It's called Public Speaking for Cardboard, and not everybody is a fan of getting up in front of groups of people and doing public speaking. Now, Mindy and I do this a lot with schools and with conferences and things like that, so we're probably pretty comfortable at getting up in front of large groups of people, but not everybody is. And this app is designed... I hate it. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've heard that about you before, Julie. That's twice. I, <laughs> Usually from I, you. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I hate being up in front of people. Well, this, this app might help you because what it does is when you, when you put it into the Google Cardboard Viewer, what you see through it is an audience, look, a virtual audience looking at you. And there's some rustling and there's people that get up and move around and people that are drinking coffee and, you know, just the kind of stuff that you kind of would expect with, with an audience. So it gives you practice at doing things like that. And as you look around the room in the cardboard viewer, you see like your computer with a timer on it that shows how long you've been doing your, your presentation for. And this is, you know, this is probably not going to work all the time, but you do have the option to attach your device to a computer. And in iTunes, you can add your slides to the app so that when you're looking around the app and you're presenting in front of these people, your actual slides are in this presentation, in this virtual world with the people you are you are looking at. So it's kind of cool. It is kind of cool. Um, so it's have, more of a practice. Yeah. Yeah, it's a practice. I think for like maybe like high school speech teams and stuff like that, you know, if you are, you know, you got kids that are needing some practice doing speech and they just want to practice at home. Yes, you can practice in front of the mirror and stuff like that. But wouldn't it be kind of nice to practice in front of kind of a virtual slash live audience? Yeah. So it, it's kind of cool. They've got different environments you can choose from. There's like a boardroom one where there's like only 12 people. And then there's one that's like, you know, a conference room. So you where can practice like, getting fired. Is that what that is? He's <laughs> like, yeah. I'm in a boardroom with 12 people. This is not going to be good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so they have, they have more environments coming soon. And, um, I don't know. It's just, it's just one of those things that it sounds kind of goofy, but you put it into Google Cardboard and you're looking around and you're like, wow, this is really very good. I mean, you maybe don't want to give a presentation while holding a Google Cardboard up to your eyes the whole time, but maybe you can like get an elastic band or something <laughs> and stick, stick that thing to your head. I know you're going to look completely goofy, but you do get practice of being in, in a virtual arena with people watching and listening to you talk. What was the so, name of that? I missed it. What did you say the name of it was? It's called Public Speaking for Cardboard. Huh. It's available for iOS devices for sure. I don't know if there's a 
an Android version, but I will look, we can it, look up it up. If there is, I will put, put it that in, the in the show notes. Yes. Don't say you will. I will. Well, Mindy will put it in put the show notes. Put it in notes. the show notes yeah. for you. Yeah. Oh, it is available for Android as well. Oh, good. I just looked it good. up. Okay. Yes. Okay, so if you enjoyed the show, please subscribe in a podcast player of your choice and leave us a review on iTunes. Lots of people have left us a review and we love reading those. We got one recently from a 4-5 classroom teacher who said, Mindy and Jonathan give great tools that you can put into use immediately in your classroom. Aww, that was nice, wasn't it, Mindy? Nice. That's always the best feedback. Whenever I do PD and walk away with somebody saying, I can go and do this today, I always feel like that's the best feedback. I agree. Yep. I think that's that's the best kind to get. Um, the EdTech Takeout podcast spent several weeks at number one in the iTunes chart for new and noteworthy podcasts in the education technology section, and that is all down to you, the good listeners of the show. So we thank, thank you all you. for listening. Very much appreciate that. Um, feel free to reach out to us on Twitter. I am at Jonathan Wiley on Twitter, and Mindy is Team Kearney. You will probably not be able to spell either of those. Nope, but probably you know, not. Just search for us. You'll probably find us around somewhere. Um, you can also use the hashtag EdTechTO to tag the show, and we will definitely keep an eye on those. If you have any ideas or feedback or questions for Julie King, please email podcast at gwaea.org. Until next time. This has been the EdTech Takeout. We hope it hit the spot. For more information on today's episode, please visit dlgwaea.org slash podcast. Bye.